right, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, back solo again to talk about one of my favorite years in wrestling, 1996. I'm really excited to be in the back end of 1996 because 97, I think I've mentioned before on the show, but maybe I haven't. It's one of the years I I sort of have the least touch points with. 98, it all exploded again in Australia where I am. Um, Got access to a lot of wrestling again. 96 was before the pay-per-view VHSs started drying up and getting harder to find. So I'd seen a bit of 96, not all of it, but certainly the In Your House era um, and through into 97, it was really hard to get a hold of anything. And a little side effect, I guess, of WCW's popularity because WCW NWO dominated shelves in places where WWF used to have a stranglehold, figures, videos, t-shirts, anything that you could actually get in regards to wrestling in the mid-90s, mid to late 90s, which wasn't much to begin with, all of a sudden started flipping over to WCW and WWF stuff became harder and harder to uh, come by. And I, as I've mentioned many times, was a diehard WWF fan refuse to really interact much with WCW. Obviously, I'm learning the errors of my ways as a, as a much older man now and seeing there was some real gold in this NWO stuff. But hand on heart, I'd always be a WWF guy. And even if I'd have watched the Nitros back then, I might have gotten into it. But Undertaker, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, they're my guys. You know, I, I would have never really fully swapped over. I just wish I could have enjoyed both and I would have had a much better fill of, you know, merchandise, watching. I'd have enjoyed it a lot more. I did occasionally watch... The odd WCW pay-per-view when the video store really had nothing I hadn't seen a dozen times and I'd I'd grab one and watch it. But a lot of the WCW pay-per-views didn't really feel the same. I didn't have the same interest in the guys. The main events often fell flat. So it wasn't something I stayed with too long. Anyway, I'm getting off track talking about my childhood reminiscing. Two shows I'm here to talk about today. Buried Alive from the WWF coming to you from Market Square Arena in in Indianapolis, sorry, Indiana, Indianapolis, Indiana. I never I always get that the wrong way around in front of 9,649 fans and one of the arenas I've actually been to. It's not often I review a show and I've sat in that arena, but I did. I went and watched the Indiana Pacers take on the Charlotte Hornets um, on my honeymoon a while back. So yeah, that's um, always a cool little tidbit for me. And it's up against Halloween Havoc from the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, Nevada, in front of 10,000 even. Definitely not been there. Very similar crowd sizes here. WCW just edging it. Um, And as always on the show, I talk about this every time we get to the pay-per-view reviews, but they take place, like these reviews take place out of sync around a pay-per-view because I've done a show before one and then not the one before the other because they very rarely take place on the same weekend. I'm really struggling to explain that, but I've said it a million times. So listen to any pay-per-view review and you'll understand. For my own viewing pleasure though, I did watch the shows in chronological order, even if I'm re- means I've got to watch four shows before I can record a review. Um, Very Alive was the week earlier on October 20th, by the way, with Halloween Havoc taking place on October 27th. So that should clear up what I was fumbling over my words to say a moment ago. Anywho, without any further ado, I did watch these, as I said, in sequential order, chronological order. Um, So that means we're going to go over to Buried Alive first and check out what the WWF had to offer. The World Wrestling Federation. For over 50 years, the revolutionary force in sports entertainment. My whole existence is death darkness and the destruction of you mankind i have a vision of you undertaker 
I must be your judge, your jury, and your executioner. A vision of you undertakes looking at me for mercy and finding holy mention. Why don't you try and imagine what those last few breaths of air will taste like? A vision of you undertaker with soil filling your lungs. Try to imagine what it will be like to never rest in peace. When vision becomes reality, I'll laugh myself to sleep. I am going to bury you alive. You have been sentenced to eternal damnation. Sony's PlayStation presents Buried Alive. As you can hear there, we've got Vince on the call along with Lawler and JR. Um, very salty JR at the start as his microphone's not working, which really does crack me up. And we're going to start off with a match that in just a couple of years' time could be a main event anywhere in the country. It's Triple H versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. We're told by the commentary team as we're coming into this match that Ahmed Johnson has put Farouk on the shelf and now Goldust is going to get an Intercontinental title match. And we go to Kevin Kelly, who's going to interview Stone Cold Steve Austin. Cold, Savio Vega now injured. Does your game plan change now that you get to face Hunter Hearst Helmsley? It doesn't change my game plan one bit because I already said Stone Cold's got a list and everybody's on it. There ain't a damn thing wrong with Savio Vega, and I know that for a fact. I give Hunter Hearst all the credit in the world because he's got the guts to step in the ring with me. As far as Bret Hart coming back for Monday Night Raw, I hope it's to announce his retirement because if it's not, then Stone Cold will retire him, and that's the bottom line. As far as anyone having a problem all of a sudden with the language that Stone Cold is using, well, they can just kiss my ass, all right, and that's I the bottom line. All right, I think we have had enough of that. Don't <laughs> coach Steve Austin on his way to lock up with Hunter Hearst Helmsley. As you would have just heard from that interview there, Stone Cold is very much taking his final form here and becoming the Stone Cold we all learn to know and love. Um his themes even there, so we're definitely getting really close. Um JR's Mike's still cutting in and out and he is pissed at Vince. The match here, as you heard, uh, by the way, Savio Vega um, injured, so he's out of this little feud with Austin, and Bret Hart on his way back to begin a feud with Austin, so talk about an upgrade there. Arm drag from Stone Cold, and then a double bird for Triple H. Told by JR, um, as Austin alluded to there as well, that Bret will be back tomorrow. It's a bit of a slow start here on this one. They do exchange slaps, and then Austin just explodes with offense and goes under the arm. JR mocks Vince for not calling the moves in this pretty basic match, which is quite funny to me. A backdrop and a sleeper, and then Stone Cold with a sleeper, a stun gun, and a second rope elbow. Triple H with his high knee, and then a double down. Both men take a breather. Mr. Perfect comes out, takes Hunter's girl as he normally does. Austin and Perfect square off, and then... Stone Cold throws a drink into his face. Triple H abandons the pedigree on Austin to chase Perfect. They uh, We then go to a brawl on the outside between the two competitors as Perfect gets away. 
And back in the ring, a Stone Cold Stunner from Austin for the one, two, three. This was a really hot ending to what was a bit of a slow start. And I think this becomes a bit of a pattern with Austin and Triple H matches later on where they'll start off slow and build to a hot climax. Definitely happened here. And I've got to admit, like, I really enjoyed this one and thought it was a, a good opener for the pay-per-view despite it being two heels and a cold program. So hats off to both guys for making this what it was. We then go to a video package on the Smoking Guns and Sunny and a Smoking Guns promo. I won't splice that one in. It's not as close to Billy and Bart's final form as Austin's was earlier and therefore not much to write home about. They're taking on the British Bulldog and Owen Hart, managed by Clarence Mason for their tag team championships. We see a Sonics number 40 jersey in the crowd and oh my god, does that take me back. Sean Kemp, the Rain Man in the 90s. Um... I know everything was Michael Jordan, but there was these secondary teams and players that just came in and out for a few years and really lit up. And in the mid-90s, basketball was as hot in Australia as I can ever remember it being. And yeah, Sean Kemp, definitely a name from my childhood. The mic issues that have been plaguing JR start to get a little bit annoying here. Um, Billy Gunn starts off with a clothesline, a double clothesline from the Bulldog and Owen. Bart hits a power slam, Owen Hart missile drop kick, and then a leg drop. The Guns with a double Russian leg sweep for a two. Sonny's watching backstage, back in the ring, Bart with a neck breaker. The guns go for the sidewinder, but the bulldog um, has Bart's jeans. Um, hang on a second. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry. The, the classic every episode issue of me being on I read my own writing. The guns are going for the sidewinder on Owen and... Bart, who has him held in sort of like the sidewalk slam slash backbreaker position, the bulldog creeps up behind him and grabs a hold of like his belt and jeans. But because Billy's not ready, he just stands there holding them. And as Billy goes, then he tugs him away. If you're Bart Gunn, do you not go, whose hand is on my ass right now? Like, oh my God. It did not look good on television. Owen Hart hits a spin kick and that's enough for the one, two, three. The opposite of the previous match where this one started out fine and ended really shitty. Um, but it is what it is. You can never complain about seeing the Bulldog and Owen Hart. We then see Triple H and Ray Rougeau on the Superstar line backstage. And Vince, not Vince, sorry, JR gets in the ring to absolutely go off on Vince and leaves after. And this was an all-timer promo from JR. I'm loving me some salty JR in 96. Earlier on, we know we had a problem with Farouk. Well, actually, he had a problem with an individual by the name of Ahmed Johnson. But we certainly heard from Farouk. And wait a minute. Let's go back up to Jr., who's in the ring. What is this? And McMahon has—he's got his uh, his butt kissers to turn my microphone off, so I can't be heard on television. This guy right here. I'm not going to bore you or go into this story again of how he fired me twice and tried to ruin my life. I'm not going to go into that. But I am going to tell what you is one going thing. On here? That tomorrow night on Raw, thanks to good old JR, I'll guarantee you, I promise you, that Bret Hart is going to be live in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I promise you that. He's taking credit to bringing Bret Hart back to, to make an announcement? And it's not because he's coming back because you want him to come back. You didn't go to South Africa to talk to him. I went to South Africa. Right or wrong? Right or wrong? That's a yes or no for you. You were in South Africa, JR. Yes, you were. The issue is this. Tomorrow night, Bret Hart has got a lot to say. He said he was going to come back with a shovel because he's going to bury some people. Bret Hart has got a lot to say to you fans. 
He's got a lot to say to maybe Vince McMahon. And he's what got some other things, I think, for the World Wrestling Federation champion. Bottom line, Bret Hart will be uncensored tomorrow night. Now, seeing as though the egotistical maniac who owns this company has screwed up the microphones and he talks out of both sides of his mouth anyway. You need two microphones. You take this one. I'll see you tomorrow night on Raw. There you have it, some beautiful JR Salt just missing the chips right there. Uh, we see Kevin Kelly backstage with Farouk, then we see Ahmed Johnson, um, and then the locker room beat down that Farouk put on him. Um, that puts him out of the action tonight. We go to Mr. Perfect out. Um, he um, JR apparently sends him out to join commentary. Um, the mic is fine now, of course, which is quite funny. We see Goldust versus uh, Goldust with Marlena taking on Mark Miro with Sable for the Intercontinental Championship. We get a promo from Miro first, and then match gets underway with some punches from Goldust, a hip toss from Miro, an arm drag. Goldust spits on Miro. That goes down as well as you can expect. Miro comes back with a plancher and a slingshot leg drop for a two, a chin lock from Goldust, and a crossbody from Miro for a two. Goldust with a big clothesline, then gets on the mic and threatens to get in the crowd and kiss each and every member in the crowd, which is always funny. Miro with a great moonsault for a two. Miro with a roll up and counter to a, sorry, as a counter to the curtain call, gets another two. Mr. Perfect then comes out and helps Miro and, sorry, helps Miro and Triple H comes out. Mr. Perfect nails Goldust. Miro hits a Samoan drop and the shooting star press for the one, two, three. And we have JR along with the fake Razor and the fake Diesel on the Superstar line backstage. Uh, match there was okay. Um, Goldust in the 96 version of him, I, I don't love. I think he gets better into sort of when he comes back after his Dustin Rhodes uh, stint. And the character probably not as good, but the in-ring stuff certainly better later on. We then see the Masters of the Powerbomb explode as it's Sid taking on Vader, and we get a great hype video on these two beforehand. Sid is absolutely over like crazy. Fucking love me some Sid here at this stage. Shawn Michaels comes out, endorses Sid, and winds up Jim Cornette and Vader a little bit before joining the commentary team. Once the match is underway, we get a leg drop from Sid for a two, a Vader short clothesline, and the Ho Train attack. I just love this... Um this match with two big beasts. I love going at it. Sid with a back suplex. Sid goes up top and Vader catches him midair with a slam. Brilliant, brilliant move there. Looked awesome. Hits a splash for a two and another splash for another two. Sid hits a clothesline and a slam of his own before going for the powerbomb, but Jim Cornette comes in, allowing Vader to hit a low blow. Uh, but Sid comes back for the choke slam and the one, two, three, which was pretty unexpected um, as an ending. And then Sean comes in and awkward handshake between him and Sid. There's a little bit of tension going on, but definitely setting up our match for Survivor Series here. Overall, um, not the the best technical match, but I love Sid and I love Vader. Sid's so over. Vader's not quite lost his aura. So for me, this is, you know, two big beasts going at it and I really did enjoy it. Might not be everyone's cup of tea. And I do love some technical wrestling and some high flying as much as the next guy, but this one for me was really cool. 
at the world's greatest arena. And let's go back to Doc. Doc, you back there with Sid? Yes, I am, Sid. Congratulations. I just got to ask you, how must it feel to know that now your destiny is in hand in November 7th? Wait a minute, Doc. Wait a second. Just a more softball. It's not no more McMahon question. Sid, let's lay it right here on the line. Who is your question, little man? I want to ask you a question. Where you, were you not at one time Shawn Michaels' best friend as bodyguard? Yes, I was. Did you powerbomb him five times on Raw? Of course I did. Will you do anything you can, including breaking his back to become the WWF champion at Survivor Series? The question is simple. Whoa. Yes, I will. I will do anything I have to to go to my destiny and make my conquer to prove that I am the man. I am the master and the ruler of the world. Thank you, Sid. Go ahead, Doc. Good job. Uh, thanks, Doc. No problem. Two salty JR splices in the one episode. How good is that? We go to a great hype video for The Undertaker and Mankind, their Buried Alive match. This is cool. So I think the WCW effect is in full effect here. The WWF having to think outside of their comfort zone and come up with new matches, um, which I really love. This has got a great brawling start. Mankind's kicked into the barricade. Um, a really sick bump. Undertaker with a top rope clothesline to the floor. Holy shit, not something you see Undertaker do often come off the top to the floor. Brilliant start. We brawl on the outside. They go up to the grave. Mankind attacks and suplexes Undertaker in small package, and they roll down the mound, which is a nice little comedy spot inserted into a really dark match here. Brawl through the crowd. Undertaker with a clothesline over the barricade to Mankind. Paul Bear shakes the ropes on old school, and Undertaker comes off the ropes. Mankind uses a foreign object. Undertaker gets up and has his turn with it. A big leaping clothesline. Um, Paul Bearer with the urn. Um, no sold by Taker, so Mankind comes in with a chair. They brawl into the grave. Undertaker hip tosses Mankind off the mound to the floor, and that looked particularly nasty. A pulling pile driver from Mankind, a double-arm DDT onto a chair that the Undertaker sits up from. A leg drop on the chair. Mankind attacks um, and pile drives on the floor. Undertaker, after um, lifting him like he was going to do an Alabama slam, uh, sorry, attempts a power pile driver on the floor and Undertaker lifts him into a slam like an Alabama slam my apologies there um and runs his knees into the stairs Undertaker throws the stairs at him and then hits a tombstone carries him to the grave but Mankind locks in the mandible claw Undertaker chokeslams Mankind into the grave and starts to bury sending the referee flying um who tried to stop him from burying and then out comes the executioner with a shovel um they bury the Undertaker to thunder and lightning and a rest in peace chant from the crowd a bunch of heels come out to help bury the Undertaker it takes an absolute age before we get the he's alive hand coming through the grave to send us out so this was a much, much, much better version of the Royal Rumble. Was it 94 Royal Rumble? Sort of all the heels pile on The Undertaker, but we get the last little bit. It wasn't as cartoony. It was a lot more dark, even though the the idea itself was very much the same. Um, a heels taking down The Undertaker, but gets all the other heels out to help finish him off and get rid of him. It was executed much better. The Executioner obviously will go on to absolutely nothing of note in the WWF and is a footnote at the Undertaker-Mankind feud, but the ending here and the match itself was phenomenal. I really, really enjoyed this match. If you haven't seen the first ever Buried Alive, would highly recommend it to anyone to watch. That will do it for Buried Alive, so we'll have a quick break and come back with a halftime segment.
half time this week, I think I'm going to rattle off um, a small list of five stadiums that I've been to around the world that I have enjoyed going to watch sporting events at after earlier in the episode I mentioned having been to Market Square Arena. Number one that will never be topped, obviously, is my home away from home, the Etihad Stadium in Manchester, England, where I watch my beloved Manchester City play. Been there countless times over the years. The last time I was there, I watched City beat United uh, to an Aguero goal, so that tells you it was a few years back now, pre-COVID. But that's my number one. Then the rest in no particular order, some stadiums that I've really enjoyed visiting. Start with Madison Square Garden. I had the privilege of watching the Knicks play the Atlanta Hawks, um, as well as the day before doing a tour of Madison Square Garden. It's one of them bucket list items that I had for many, many years to get to the garden. I'm actually a Nets fan, not a Knicks fan in the NBA, but if you've been a wrestling fan for five minutes, you have to have made the pilgrimage to Madison Square Garden, and I thoroughly enjoyed that. So that one definitely makes my top five. I'll stay in New York and add the Barclays Center to that as well. Obviously, being a Nets fan, I went there for three or four games while I was in New York. Um, but the stadium itself is beautiful. The food's great. The beer's great. Atmosphere's great. Just a lovely modern stadium. And if you're into stadiums like I am, then definitely some of the nicer new ones def- make an indent. I love the tradition of the older ones, but when you see that something that's really spectacular as well, it definitely makes you smile. By no means one of the better stadiums I went to, but I'm going to throw in the list the Scott Trade Center in St. Louis, Missouri, and that's because I saw the 2014 Survivor Series in it, and I happen to be second row ringside. You can definitely see me on the show waving my Manchester City scarf if you want to go back and check that out on whatever streaming platform wrestling is in your country. But yeah, um, a massive highlight for me to sit you know, ringside at a WWE pay-per-view as a fan of well over 30 years now. It was definitely a, another bucket list item. So few of them being ticked off on this list here, and that will take one of the, the top five spots on the list as well. Last but not least, this is an interesting one because it's an arena I never actually got to step inside, but uh, something that I had to do, take the pilgrimage to Chicago and see the statue of Michael Jordan at the United Center. Um, I wish that I'd been able to catch either a Bulls or a Blackhawks game while I was in Chicago, but timing didn't really line up, both teams on the road while I was there. But just getting into that uh, in car park and seeing the, the statue of one of my idols, Michael Jordan, definitely makes it a top experience. Even if I didn't get to go and watch the Bulls or see the stuff hanging from the rafters it would have been perfect but i will be back one day and i'll make sure i get entry into the building next time around anyway there's five memorable stadiums or arenas that i've been to um i sort of am a bit of a like an arena and stadium buff i love when i'm on holidays to go to a sporting event of some sort and check out a, a stadium wherever i'm staying so a bit of a weird thing that not many people really i'd say would put on their holiday must-dos but definitely something that i'm into so i'm heading to japan in november If anyone can recommend a sporting event in Japan in November or a wrestling event, by all means, um, feel free to send them my way so I can make sure I get another another sports arena on my list while I'm on holiday again. That'll do it for halftime. Let's head out and check out Halloween Havoc. Here, you want to try to stop WCW? What are you doing? 
Halloween Havoc, as you hear there, coming from MGM Grand and the commentary team, Tony Schiavone, Dusty Rhodes, and Bobby the Brain Heenan. And we start off with a Cruiserweight title match, Dean Malenko taking on the champion, Rey Mysterio. As you do expect with these two, it gets off to a pretty hot start. A back suplex gets a two for Malenko early, a spine buster and attempts a cloverleaf. Ray with a nice drop toe hold and some quick exchanges, which the crowd seemed to like. He does a fake dive to the outside before hitting a springboard drop kick and a somersault plancher. Ray um, takes, sorry, Ray takes back his missing mask from Dean Malenko that had been stolen in the build-up. Swaps masks, um, then Malenko catches him with a head scissor into a side slam. Malenko with a nasty suplex into a throw face first at the ropes. Looked really rough with Ray being quite lightweight, so he's able to make that look awesome. A nice slam and a super back suplex for a two from Malenko. A delayed vertical also picks up a near fall before he puts in the camel clutch. He's in control here now. Hits a big overhead belly to belly for a two and they brawl to the floor. A springboard sent on for a two from Ray and then a suplex for a Malenko gets another two. Ray hits an acai moonsault into a corkscrew. It's really cool. A hurricane runner for a two. Malenko with a powerbomb for a two. And then a top rope powerbomb seals the deal. And Dean Malenko wins back the Cruiserweight title in an absolutely fantastic opening contest here. Really, really enjoyed this one. Good stuff all around. We then go to Lee Marshall with Jeff Jarrett and Ric Flair, who comes on in... Tony, thank you very much. I'll tell you what, things really getting going here in Las Vegas, Nevada, Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc. When the card for this event was first being put together, we thought the NWO would finally get their comeuppance. It was going to be the giant against the nature boy, Ric Flair. Well, we saw what happened to the nature boy, but a man came through. He has accepted the challenge, and it is none other than Jeff Jarrett. And you are going to face the biggest man in the history of this sport in the biggest match of your life. Exactly. You want to talk about pride. You want to talk about tradition. You want to talk about heritage. You want to talk about charisma, being able to get the job done inside of the ring. (laughs) I could go on and on about myself and Ric Flair, but I'm out here to talk tonight. (laughs) Just a few words to the NWO and the Giant. You guys had to impress me from the Giant to the Hogan all the way down the list with your monster trucks and jumping Ric Flair outside the ring. You ain't done nothing inside the ring. And in case you didn't know, Giant, that's exactly where we're meeting, right in the middle of the old squared circle. That being the point, Jeff, can we talk a minute about the choke slam? The fact oh. of the matter is he's put it on just about everybody. Exactly. No promises or guarantees, no threats. <laughs> I'm just telling you, man-to-man, face-to-face, Giant, you will not choke slam me. <laughs> talk about Tell some big, big boots to fill. Oh, 13 yeah. times heavyweight champion of the world, the nature boy, Ric Flair. I'm here tonight, not just to support Jeff Jett, but I'm here woo, to orchestrate the meet and greet because there will be a line a mile long of women in Las Vegas that want to shake the hand, hug the neck, and kiss the face woo, of Jeff Jett after he beats the giant. Then, macho man, as much as I despise you, 
tonight, Macho Man, you and WCW woo, will walk that out. You will style a profile, and you will take the hoaxer and the NWO woo, all night long. The Nature Boy, Let's Jeff go. Jarrett. Let's go back to the ring. Yeah, bit, a bit of a charisma overtake there from Flair getting in on Jarrett's promo. We then head to DDP versus Eddie Guerrero. Um, it's amazing to me that in the middle of the NWO angle, this is for the battle ball ring. <laughs> what a shitter. Uh, <coughs> they start with a slugfest and brawling on the outside. Um, the crowd's really hot for this, which was cool. Eddie Guerrero works a side headlock, a drop kick, and some more brawling on the floor. A flipping senton from Guerrero for a two before DDP crutches Guerrero on the ropes and goes for a dirty pin, which only gets a two. Um, Dusty can't stop saying nosedive, and Tony Schiavone starts giving him shit for it, which is quite funny. A gut buster from Paige, an abdominal stretch, a jawbreaker, and a sidewalk slam gets a near fall. It becomes a bit of a shoving match with Nick Patrick, and then they shake hands. A clothesline, and then a Guerrero drop kick, and a European uppercut, a 10 punch, and a dive to the floor before DDP hits a pancake for a two, spitting powerbomb for a two, and then finally the diamond cutter for the one, two, three. In what was a decent little match here, I didn't mind this one at all. So, so far we're two for two here on the Halloween Havoc pay-per-view. Up next is Mike Tanea with the Macho Man, um, who <laughs> is here to draw out the prize for his monster truck. Um, it is as mental as you would expect it to be. <laughs> we then see Chris Jericho on CompuServe, and that is also quite crazy to me. Um, Dean Malenko is then with Mike Tanay. Um Nothing crazy there, just a, a quick backstage promo. And then we've got Ted DiBiase in the Giant, um, who want to knock Jeff Jarrett for not joining them. Giant in his promo says um, he's going to send Jarrett to the glue factory, (laughs) and that one gets props from me. Jeff Jarrett, I gave you credit for being a lot smarter than you really are. And my first clue that you're not too bright is when you refused the opportunity to join the NWO. Because the NWO is taking over World Championship Wrestling. And the only way you get in the NWO is by invitation. And you could have been one of the chosen few and you said no. Not very smart. But you know, now I realize that not only are you not very smart, but you're a total fool. Because anybody would buy a line from Ric Flair and make him feel like you're getting some privilege by taking his place to climb in the ring to face the most awesome force in professional wrestling today, the NWO's U.S. heavyweight champion, the Giant. You, my friend, are a total fool. Even Flair is not fool enough to climb in the ring with this man by himself. And Giant, what was it? I think the last thing that Jeff Jarrett said to the NWO was, stick it. And that's pretty good advice when you think about it. Because Jeff Jarrett... I'm going to stick you to the wall. I'm going to stick you to the floor. I'll stick you to the ceiling. That's a fight, bro. And when it's all said and done, I'm going to choke slam you right in the middle. When it's all over, there will be no Jeff Jarrett, and there will be no horseman. Everybody goes to the glue factory. Wow. 
And then it's time for the giant carrying the US title, but he's not actually a champion. He's stolen it from Ric Flair to take on Jeff Jarrett, who gets some pretty awful music, but Flair does come out with him. Jarrett sticks a move early on. Um, giant hits an atomic drop and a beal. Jarrett with a sleeper and a 10 punch. A big boot from the giant who seems way more popular with the crowd. Um, Jeff Jarrett as a face in this era is weird to me as well. An elbow from the Giant and a headbutt to the balls gets a big pop. A backbreaker. Flair gets on the mic to try and encourage Jeff Jarrett. Um, that gets a pop. Smart man, Rick. Good call there. Jarrett with a pair of drop kicks tries a slam and fails. Giant gets a two count falling on top of him. A top rope axe handle to a wobbly Giant and then a crossbody gets a two. They brawl along the floor. Giant hits his head on the ring post. Jarrett locks in a figure four on the floor and Giant goozles him. Ric Flair comes up behind and hits him with a low blow. And that is a disqualification. God, easy for me to say. And the four horsemen come running out and the Giant takes his leave. This was a weird one because Jarrett's the baby face, but Giant's way more over. New crowd in the cool faction. And Jeff Jarrett's just come from being the country singing dork on the other channel. So it just didn't work as much as Ric Flair tried to salvage it. Um, Not the best match, not the best angle overall. Ted's then in the crowd with Vincent and the Giant again. Um, sorry, Vincent and Six this time. He talk, he talks, Six talks. Um, they're cutting a bit of a promo on wanting the Cruiserweight title from Chris Jericho. This was okay, but nothing special. We then go to Six taking on Chris Jericho. Uh, sorry, he wants the Cruiserweight title and he's taking on Chris Jericho. My apologies, Chris. <laughs> he's not the champion. Six versus Chris Jericho. Chain wrestling, um, we see... The Dungeon of Doom in the crowd. Jericho hits a monkey flip and then works over the arm. Some chops and a corner clothesline. A drop kick from Six and Jericho um, comes off the top rope to the floor. A plancher from Six next. They brawl on the floor. Six hits his corner kick combo, which he would become very famous for when he goes back to the WWF as X-Puck. A chin lock and an enziguri. Spin kick from Jericho and a springboard crossbody to the floor. A drop kick, um, he drop kicks six in midair coming off the top rope. A slow count from Nick Patrick. A lion salt from Jericho, which gets a one on a very slow count. A crossbody again gets a slow count and then six hits a spin kick and the one, two, three in a count that was, we, we heard it was quick, but it was probably just regular speed compared to how slow the other ones were. So I've got to be honest, like ending on a spin kick made Jericho look pretty weak. If he'd have done the tap, 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 like super quick count, then you could give it to him here, but just, you know, a normal count because the other ones were slow. It, it still made Jericho look pretty weak and not as good of a match as I expected out of these two, if I'm being totally honest. So, um, yeah, we've probably hit the middle, which isn't as good as, as the end. And we'll see if the main event sort of stuff can save it as we go on here. Mike Tanay is then with Kane Frizz looking Lex Luger. I don't know what's going on with his hair, but wow. He cuts a good intense promo on Arn Anderson and gives some good babyface fire, and it's time for their matchup. Arn Anderson goes on attack early before Lex comes back with a press slam and a clothesline over the top. They brawl on the floor. Lex elbows as a Dungeon of Doom cheer him on. He works the back of Anderson before Arn Anderson goes up top but gets crotched. He hits his beautiful spine buster and they brawl on the floor again. All his offense is on Luger's lower back at this point. Um, Dusty on commentary um, says, Bula Bula, and I have no idea what the fuck he's talking about. We have an abdominal stretch from Arn and then a Luger chant from the crowd. 
ref bumps um, during the comeback, and then Arn Anderson misses with a chair, and Lucas suplexes him on the floor and hits three chair shots to the back of Arn Anderson. Ref gets up as they're in the ring, and Torture Rack, he doesn't want to let go, but eventually he does after the ring, after the ring bell. A good pop from Luger for the win, and Anderson is not getting up here. Jarrett and Flair come out as he is stretched out. So, yeah, really good showing for Lex. Um, decent match, good fire. Arn definitely made him look good, and right winner on that one. So, solid overall. We then go to Lee Marshall shilling the hotline, um, and then they bring in Harlem Heat with the Colonel and Sherry for an okay promo on the NWO. Before heading to our next tag match, the faces of Veer taking on Horseman's Mongo and Chris Benoit. Meng and Mongo exchange shoulders early on, a nice meaty start with two thick men. We get Barb lighting up Chris Benoit with chops, a big clothesline, and then a sumo standoff between Mongo and Meng. Meng knocks him over. Mongo comes back with some chop blocks and a body slam. A drop kick from Mongo and then a huge power bomb from Barbarian and a top rope belly-to-belly suplex. Absolute madness for a two count there. That is some big moves. Faces of fear with a double top rope um, headbutt for a two. And then Mongo hits a briefcase shot. Chris Benoit goes up top and hits the one uh, the headbutt for the one, two, three. Barbarian then uses the case on Benoit. And then they pile drive Mongo and the Dungeon of Doom come out. Benoit fights him off on his own for a minute before succumbing to a big beatdown and Kevin Sullivan talking smack to woman after the segment. So the Dungeon of Doom and Four Horsemen feud is going to carry on a little while longer. Ted's now in the crowd. Ted DiBiase, that is, saying the NWO are 2-0 and that next they're going to take the tag team titles, which takes us to the Outsiders taking on Harlem Heat for the tag team titles. Booker T with an arm drag early while the crowd look away. I'm guessing there was a fight or something in the crowd because they are not paying attention here. Scott Hall with a spinning uh, discus punch. Booker T with an arm drag to the floor. Nash with his corner strikes. Booker T with a scissor kick for a two. Kevin Nash with a nice sidewalk slam. And Scott Hall with a slam for a two count. Kevin Nash hits a big boot in the NWO double team Booker for a while. They hit the SOS before Sherry slaps Scott Hall and he kisses her in return. Booker T hits a nice spin kick, and we get a razor chant from the crowd, which made me giggle. A sleeper from Scott Hall before Booker T hits a Harlem hangover, but Kevin Nash takes the cane from the Colonel, and he runs off like a coward. He nails Booker T, and this allows the Outsiders to pick up the 1-2-3 and take control of the WCW Tag Team titles. This one was okay. Um, Hard to sort of cheer Harlem Heat here because they've been heels for so long and have got two heel managers and the outsiders are so cool. So again, it suffers from that weird baby face heel divide, but the action was good. All four guys did a good job and we've now got the tag titles on the NWO. So overall, not a bad effort here. We see Hogan in um, the same crowd spot that the NWO have been cutting promos from all night and he's got a flat top, which is quite weird. He then cuts a strange heel promo as well, which... Sunday, November 24th, three rings, 60 men is the biggest one single event. And it's for all the marbles at World War III. We do understand that Hollywood Hulk Hogan has arrived in the building. This is his type of town. I guess we're going to go to him right now. Yo, yo, yo. It's time for Hollywood. I can't hear you. He's got feathers. Look at that. That's almost like a haircut that Sting used to have. No, it's not Hogan, Hogan, Hogan. It's Hollywood. Hollywood, brothers. 
Maybe those are just nerve ends. Yo, NWO lights. I just got done with my brand new Three Ninja movie. On November 8th, my brand new movie, Santa with Muscles, opens up, brother. And I got tired of body slamming Hollywood this week. So I decided to come back one more time and body slam a long lost lovesick puppy named the Macho Man. Ooh, yeah. There's only one thing left to say, NWO rules, and it's time for Hollywood. It's then time for Hulk Hogan to defend his world heavyweight title against the Macho Man Randy Savage. Hogan poses during his intro, and then Macho comes out um, with his monster truck. Macho Man gets uh, says, get rid of the goons, and the referee threatens to forfeit the belt if Giant doesn't leave. Hogan is stalling to a very hot crowd here. Um, he's still got um, his sunnies on as the match starts. Tons of stalling. This is very Lawler-esque here in the early going. He lures in Macho Man and finally attacks him. Macho, with a top rope axe handle, then takes the sunnies as Hogan begs off. He rips off his wig, which is quite funny, and puts it on himself. Hogan here is wrestling for Rosie tonight. He is just all the theatrics. Um, we've got him begging off again and powdering. Macho Man finally hits a chair shot before the referee takes it away, before he can use it again. Hogan gets a chair and has a shot of his own, and Liz comes out. Roll up for Macho for a two, pulling on Hogan's tights, so we get to enjoy Hulk Hogan's G-string in 1996. That was something that I was looking forward to, definitely. Hogan with a bit of a beat down here and admonishes Liz, misses a big leg, and Liz takes a foreign object away from him as the referee is bumped, bringing out Nick Patrick. We get a slam and an elbow from Macho, but Patrick is hurt on the three and doesn't finish the count. So Savage nails him and uses the object on Hogan. Ted DiBiase distracts him and then Giant comes out and choke slams him on the floor, rolls him in the ring, puts Hogan on top for the one, two, three, and then Giant pours ice over Hogan to wake him up. We then hear the familiar sound of bagpipes and out comes Rowdy Roddy Piper. Even think about it. Hi. Hi. So you're bored, are you? I've come here to break your monotony. Hey, Sprout. Sprout, why don't you just head back with a Jolly Green Giant and take a break? Whoa, 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 whoa. You know, you know what, uh, Mr. Piper? There's a big lack of communication here because when I said that I made wrestling, when I said that I own wrestling and I control wrestling, now that I really think about it, I remember that you and I were running neck and neck. Why don't you shut up for a second? It's my turn. Be careful. I am not here to represent the WCW, the NWA, the SPCA, the 
SOB, although I can be one SOB when I want to be. Be careful. Be real careful. Yeah, I made a lot of money being real careful. <laughs> I'll tell you something there, Charlie Brown. You've been saying that if it wasn't for you, professional wrestling wouldn't be what it is today. Boy, do I got news for you. I come to you for a reality check there, partner. I come because, you see, I'm just as big an icon in this sport as you are. So this carries on for about another 10 minutes along these lines. He brings up WrestleMania. They shake hands. Hulk Hogan tells him to squat. Uh, they go off the air still talking. And this, um, it actually reminds me, like, obviously, I, I, most of the stuff I'm watching, I'm watching for the first time when it comes to WCW um, and the Raws and Nitros in this era, actually, as well. But, like, I remember listening to Eric Bischoff's podcast and talking about how the Ultimate Warrior promo just dragged on and on and on on his debut on Nitro. I'm thinking, well, yeah, you're watching this, how did they not learn the lesson from Piper? They just let him go and go and go, and it never really gets to a point. You know, we sort of, I think on the next um, episode, I'll talk about the next Raw and Nitro, like the commentary team sort of alludes to the fact that he just asked for five minutes. Well, he got well more than five minutes, but like, so they've let him in on a pay-per-view with a live mic with no direction, and supposedly he's not signed the contract. Now, obviously that's kayfabe, and he has, but it's just purposeless and it's such a waste of one of the biggest legitimate names left they can go after him rowdy roddy piper and this angle should be money it probably still is to be fair and they're going to print money during this era but it's you know the fact that they had piper come in and he rambled and then you know a year later two years later whatever they have warrior come in and he just rambles and bischoff sort of blamed the talent i'm like no like you guys have got to have a tighter schedule and a bit of a script here like which is such a shame because it's such a huge moment otherwise but uh, you know, they'll play the whole thing again the next night on Nitro. Again, I'll talk about that in, in the episode. But it was just a bit of a weird one to me. And it left me scratching my head at the end of the show. Great surprise. And Piper can cut a hell of a promo. But when there's no purpose to it and he's given sort of way too much time, it's just, it, it, it wasn't quite as special as it should have been. Anyway... That'll do it for Halloween Havoc. It's time now to go over and pick ourselves a winner. And I actually think this one's going to be quite a tough one to pick. I feel I'm a little bit biased towards the WWF in this era, but I'm going to be as honest as I can with the rankings here. I think the production quality definitely goes to the WWF because of some of the, the things we talked about with just the, the order of the matches and then the Piper thing at the end. And the WWF have definitely got this down pat. But the rest of the categories, character, storyline, crowd heat, and match quality, I've actually got to hand them all to WCW. I think they just nailed it. Um, a couple of matches I didn't care for, a couple of angles I didn't care for, but they had the hottest storyline. Um, Piper making his debut to challenge Hogan definitely was one of the biggest things going. The best matches with the cruiserweights and some other action there as well. The NWO and just so many stars on the show, which is a real shame because I genuinely enjoyed Buried Alive and I've got fond memories of that pay-per-view, that era, that feud between Undertaker and Mankind, which was exceptional, by the way. But overall, I've got to give the win to WCW here. It's not really that much of a contest. 96 WCW firing on all cylinders, so it's no surprise to some people. But to me, I felt it, it, it should be a little closer than what I've had to rank it, but 
alas, I cannot. So that will do it for me today. Thanks for everyone for tuning in as always. Thanks for listening and wherever you are in the world. Hope you're having a great day. Bye for now.